This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. As we conclude our series this, this morning that we've been doing all month on Beyond OK, people have come up to me and said, Alan, you know there's some commercials going on right now with just OK, it's not OK, and I tell them exactly that's where we stole the idea from. And, uh, <laughs> but here's, here's the one that everyone says, for most people, it says is their favorite. It's the surgeon. Have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it, we'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. <laughs> that is so not what you want to hear from your surgeon, isn't it? We, uh, in this series, we've been talking about what are some of the things that we can do, especially at the beginning of the year, to move beyond okay. Okay is average, not hot, not cold, just average. And this morning, I, I want to talk about something that's, that's really key. It's a, it's a huge topic. I'm going to condense it a little bit this morning. But I want to talk about the, the importance of hope or keeping hope alive. Now, when we talk about hope, people, people often think of almost a wish. Like you hear people say, well, I'm hoping and praying. Or I sure hope so. That's often meant to mean I, I'm, I wish it would be this way. I desire it to be this way. When the Bible says hope, it's a, different, it's a different type of word. It means a positive, favorable expectation. You're expecting something. I have a little dog who's the picture of hope. He, uh, we got him 10 years ago. My daughter was between boyfriends. And uh, so we bought her a dog. We didn't... We didn't her choice in boyfriends wasn't good. And so we, we thought the dog would serve in as, as a filler, and he did, much better than most of her boyfriends. Thank God she married a good. But we, we got this little, little poodle that, that is such a non-masculine dog. People said, do you walk that dog? No, because you have to check your masculinity at the door to, you know, just to walk him. Um, we let him in the backyard. But anyway, he got him for Christina. Christina... Loved the little dog, and then she moved away and left the dog with us. And so I've gotten to be pretty attached to the dog, and uh, he, he, he loves me, except when Joy has food. And when Joy has food, he loves Joy. And he, he will actually stand there. He doesn't beg, he doesn't whine, he stares at you. And so I'll be just eating something in the kitchen, make myself a sandwich, and I'll look down, and the little dog is there, and he's just staring at me intently. And... Uh, not whining, nothing, not pawing at me, just staring at me. But what he's doing is he's looking expectantly to me because he knows when I get down to the end of the sandwich, I will usually give him some, some it's, a, it's a wonder the dog doesn't weigh 100 pounds now because I, I just, <laughs> just, just feed the little guy. But he is, he's expectant. He's, he's looking to me. And In fact, I can walk away from that sandwich and come back and he is still right there, still right by the sandwich. <laughs> because he knows something good is coming. Well, that's a great picture of hope. Hope is, is an expectancy, and we need it. I mean, we really do. It, it's essential to life. I heard a doctor say that he would, if he could prescribe anything for his patients, he would prescribe hope. He said, you can have two patients with the same medical condition, and one makes it and the other one doesn't. He said, typically, the common denominator is hope. And so we need hope in different areas of our life. We need hope just to just to feel like that we're actually making a, a difference, that there's a sense of purpose around us. We need that. An expectation that our life matters. That's important. 
We need a, a hope for our families. You know that your, your family is, is going to be better than okay. Things are going to turn out well. There's nothing that can pull on our heartstrings like our loved ones. It, it wasn't uncommon 60, 70 years ago in America, especially in Southern America, for families who lived in rural parts of, of, the, of the South to be very isolated, just completely unaware of some of the things that were going on. And there was a family that lived way up in the mountains of North Carolina that, that made their way down to the big city for the very first time. And they were just amazed. They were amazed at the, at the tall buildings. They were amazed at the number of, of uh, automobiles that were going. And they were just in awe of the big city. Well, the wife and the daughter found a dress shop. And they went in to look around. They were just amazed at that. And the, and the husband and the, and the boy didn't want to go into the dress shop. So they walked into the hotel next door. The lobby was huge. It was marble on the floor. It was just it's beautiful. The hotel was this tall building. But what captivated them were these silver doors that were opening and shutting all by themselves. And as, they, as they, they were staring at these doors, an elderly lady walked past them. Actually, she kind of hobbled past them on her cane, and the doors opened for her, and she got in. She turned around. She smiled at the, the two guys, and the doors closed. And they watched as the, the lights went up, and the lights came back down, and the door opened again, and there stood a beautiful 24-year-old girl. <laughs> And she smiled and walked past him. And the man never took his eyes off the doors, but he reached out and he grabbed his son. He said, boy, go get your mama. <laughs> now, that's not hope. That's wishful thinking. That is, that's, that's not going to happen. We need, we need hope for our families, that our families are going be, to be better than okay. We need hope in our own lives, that when it's all said and done, we don't just stand a chance of things turning out well for us. We stand a good chance. So where does this hope come from? How do we source this kind of hope? Well, I can tell you, you can source it from some people. Some people can just put hope in you. And if you're around them, a friend of mine said this years ago, I've never forgotten it. He said, it's not the people you believe in who make the biggest difference in your life. It's the ones who believe in you. And the ones who believe in you can make such a difference. They bring hope. You can have hope from your, from your situations. Maybe you got a track record. I've heard people say this. You know, I always wind, land on my feet. Ever heard that phrase? Oh, so-and-so got, got fired, but he always lands on his feet. Some people really believe, no matter what happens, it's going to turn out okay for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land on my feet. And that works a lot unless you've got a bad track record. What if, what if you don't have a track record of landing on your feet? There's no source of hope there. So where's the greatest source of hope? The greatest source of hope is found in our relationship with God. In fact, he's the God of hope. He's the God that can, can give us a, a, a confident, favorable expectation. In fact, godly hope has been likened to something that's an anchor, a strength in our life. Let's look at this verse here in Hebrews. It said, this hope, talking about our, our confidence in Jesus, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. I want you to focus on that first part. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. An anchor, if you know anything about an anchor, when you're in a ship, you throw the anchor out. It keeps the ship from drifting off course. Waves may come, currents may push against it, but the ship stays secure because it's anchored. But it's saying this, this expectation that we have in God, this expectation 
that we have in the Lord Jesus will anchor our soul. It's a, it's a fixing place in our soul. And so even when our mind and our emotions tend to want to be pulled by the negativity and the despondency and the despair because of this hope we have in him, it anchors us. And we don't get pushed way off course. It's interesting that if you go to Rome right now in the catacombs or the areas underneath the city where the Christians, early Christians were forced to flee because of persecution. Many of them were buried underneath there. And there's three signs that are symbols of Christianity that you see on the tombs in the catacombs. It's a dove, it's a fish, and, and interestingly enough, it's an anchor, not a cross, an anchor. The dove represents the Holy Spirit. The fish, the letters of fish actually spell, means the words Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And then the anchor was a sign to these early Christians who got pressured and pushed in life that they had an anchor sure and steadfast and they weren't moving. So this idea of, of something that anchors our soul, that we have something, that gives us a hope. It gives us a hope for the future. It gives us a hope for eternity. And that hope, that expectation of good, it, it, it strengthens us. It gives us something to hold on to. There's a man by the name of Stuart Briscoe. Joy and I met he and his wife, Jill Briscoe, oh, 18 years ago. He was, he's the pastor at large at Elmbrook Church up in Wisconsin, a large church there. He's, he's British. He and his wife came from England. But before he, he came over here, he was a, a British Marine. And they were training him to be a commando. And they said in the commando training, they would work on scaling cliffs. And so they would, they would go in, the, in their little boats. They would pull up to the cliffs. And, and they would shoot a rocket with a grappling hook attached up to the top of the cliff. It had a light rope on it. And they would pull this rope, hoping it attached to something secure. And when it stuck... Then they said they had some climbers there. He said, these guys were like spiders. And they climbed up that cliff on that little rope. And, when, and they were bringing a rope with them. When they got to the top, they would have fastened the rope at the top and then give it two tugs. And the rest of the commandos would climb up those rope. He said it was a hairy experience. He said, but we had a lot of confidence in the ones who had gone before us that they had secured that rope. So we're climbing based on the fact that we believe that the ones who had gone before, they secured us. That gave us an expectation, it's going to turn out good. Stuart Briscoe said that the one, one thing that Jesus has called is the one who goes before us. You see, we have somebody who's gone before, and the actual Greek word means someone who goes before in a military patrol who makes sure that the way is clear. We've got one who went to, to the cross, who went to the grave, who God raised from the dead, who showed up at the, in the presence of God, who cleared us of our sins and has forgiven us. We've got someone who said his promises are yes and amen. There's a security in him that anchors our soul. We know who's gone before. That's an anchor. That's something that we can hold on to. In the Bible, there was a, a great story of a man who had a hope, a man that was starting to fade. And then Jesus intervened. Let's read his story here. He said, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he'd already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool 
when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Fascinating place, the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda actually means house of mercy. God had a place, a pool. In fact, they've excavated it. It's, it's a real place. Five porches and the sick people were laying. There was a pool of water and an angel would come down and stir the water. And then the first one in was healed, whatever disease he had. Say, Alan, do you believe something like that? Absolutely. If God can create a universe, he can stir water up and you can get in it. And, and so this, this was a pool of hope because you know all these people are watching the water and this man had been there. He was watching the water. Aren't you glad God provided even then a supernatural way of, of helping and healing people? And this poor guy had been there a long time. In fact, he'd been there for 38 years. Now, you stop and think about it. That is a long time. Joy and I will be married 38 years this year. There's a lot of water under that bridge. And so <laughs> this, this guy has been there for 38 years, probably the same place, looking at the water, looking at the water. In fact, the biggest thing in his life was probably his limitations, that he had no one to help him. No one to help him get in. And so that, that was big. And when Jesus shows up, did a God kind of intervention. Jesus shows up in his life. He said, he said, do you want to be made well? I'm sure the disciples were like, Jesus, the guy's, seriously? You're going to ask an obvious question like that? And uh, the man answered out of his frustration, sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. Evidently, they could hire people or have friends or family members who would stay beside the sick. And when the water stirred, someone would help them get in the pool. If I was doing it, I'd hire two big guys to toss me in the water as soon as it stirred up. I'd say, you just throw me in. Don't worry, I'll get out. Just throw me in the water. And so they had people helping. This guy had no help. And he answers Jesus out of his frustration. said, Jesus, I, he didn't even know who Jesus was. He actually said, sir, I don't, I don't have anybody. He could have said, will you help me? Or are you going to help me? He just said, I don't have anybody. His frustration boiled over. And Jesus intervened right there and cut through all the waiting, all the frustration, all the, all the days and day after day of him never receiving help, and he healed him and let him go. And the man gets up and walks away, and you realize that God, even in the middle of a, of a hope, a situation where he was probably losing hope, you gotta give him credit, he's still going there, but he probably had been losing hope, but then Jesus can come in, intervene in that situation, and he leaves there a completely different man. He touches your life, it changes. He intervenes and things become different overnight. How do you keep hope alive in a, in a world where, where things are negative? How can you keep hope alive in your life? You say, well, Alan, I, I don't know that there's a pool of Bethesda I can go to. How do I keep hope alive in my life? So that's, that's a good question. So here's the, here's the first thing. We have to stay close to hope. Stay in a hope environment. What do I mean by that? I mean, we're living in a world where the, where the currents are negative. We're constantly hearing negative. We hear every, have you ever noticed how much negative news is there? Open my paper the other day. The first thing is blast kills two, destroys 200 homes. Well, that's news. China got that, has got that virus going around. That's news. All of these things are, are, are here, here's the thing. They will drain you of hope. They will pull hope right out of you. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, we ought to pay the more earnest attention to the things we have heard lest at any time we drift away. So listen, we're living in a world, we have to understand, we're living in a world where if you don't intentionally focus on what God's saying, what he's doing on his people, and his word, his kingdom, it's easy just to drift and get caught up with the negative currents. You can just drift. 
Most people, I, I really believe in my heart, most people don't wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm not going to serve God anymore. I'm done. It's a, it's a gradual drifting away. And then one day they wake up and go, why in the world am I here? So you say, well, what, what do we do? Well, we need an infusion of hope. And we need to stay close to hope. Listen, this church is, a, is like a spiritual Bethesda. This is a house of mercy. You're going to hear about God's love. You're going to hear about his goodness. You're going to hear about his mercy. Let me tell you something. The water's always moving here. All you've got to do is jump in. It's a place of, it's a place of hope. And it'll put hope in you. It'll put some hope back in you. The second thing is this. Is we've been, our, our personal devotions, many of you have been praying the Lord's Prayer, and we've been, we've been speaking the 23rd Psalm over our lives. There's hope in that. In fact, let's, let's look at it here. Let's, let's read it together. You want to read it together? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now you might think, Alan, that's a beautiful, what a beautiful poem, Alan. That's a, I, I, don't you just love, it's so poetic, it's so meaningful. Listen, there's, it's more than a poem. There's life in that. There's hope in that. I mean, you can look at that verse, and I've been, I've been speaking that verse in January. And by the way, you don't have to stop in January. You could keep it up the whole year, but bless you. But I've been, been speaking that verse, and I realized it didn't say the Lord ignores me. It says, I've got a shepherd who cares about me, and because of that, I don't have any lack in my life. He leads me. He restores my soul when, my, when I take a ding in life. He's there to restore my soul and lead me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I could be in a fearful situation, I don't have to be afraid. I know that he's with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. In fact, he'll prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. Everything doesn't have to be perfect, but I got a table I can eat at. He'll anoint my head with all my cup runs over. And I look behind me. I'm not waiting for the other shoe to drop because goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord, not a short time, forever. There's some hope inside of that, guys. There's hope. And as you speak that verse, those verses over your life, recognize you're putting hope into your life. Here's the second one. If we're going to keep hope alive, we don't need to identify with all the limitations in our life. What do you mean by that? Well, you, you, you talk to people, they're like, huh? well, you know, I'm just stupid. <laughs> or I never was spiritual. Or you know what? I just, man, I keep messing up. I can't, I can't. Oftentimes, the first thing out of our mouth, just like that man at the pool of Bethesda, you want to be well? I don't have anybody. So we're, we're, the, the, thing, the thing that's big in our life is we keep talking about what we don't have, what we can't do, what we don't know. That's not helping us. Or, we, or we, we push it to something else. I don't have the right people in my life. And, you know, the people I have in my life, they're all messed up, and I don't like any of them. And, you know, I got, I got all this going on, and the government's goofed up, and my company, I don't know what's going on. And we talk these limitations. I'm not saying they're not real. I'm not saying they're not factors in our life. What I'm saying is they shouldn't be the biggest thing in our life because God in our life is bigger than our limitations. First Peter says this. He says, who through him, Jesus, believe in God, who raised him from the dead 
and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Matthew asked me to, my oldest son asked me, he said, Dad, would you, would you give a parenting tip uh, every Sunday? And I thought, yeah, I'll do that. Joy and I raised three, four grandkids, five on the way. I got the numbers right this time. Um, there's a lot of things that we would do differently. So a parenting tip is here's what we can do differently. What we're recognizing, guys, is, is we need to affirm and constantly tell our children that God loves them and God has a plan for their life. That it's good. You say, well, why is that important? Because we need to put hope in them. That their faith and their hope can be in God. Because they may figure out they're not the smartest or the strongest or the, there's always somebody better. And oftentimes that's, that's debilitating for a child. The statistics are, are scary today. And they're telling us in this last decade, the decade that just passed, that suicide among 10 to 12 years olds went up 300%. And that suicide among 13 to 15 year olds rose 125%. Some of those are girls. Now, as they're looking at the data, a man with no religious affiliation says, listen, he said, we're living in a day of nonstop social media. He said, this is creating, he said, in our children, a hopelessness. It's creating that they, a, a lack of creativity, a disconnectedness that's leaving them with this feeling of, of no hope. So, so what are you saying, Alan? I should just take my child off social media? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is recognize that social media is not going to put strength into your child. That you need to put strength into your child. That you need to tell your child, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God's plan for your life is good. I told my youngest son one time, he was lamenting about his limitations. I said, son, let me tell you something. There is no competition. No one you're going to have to push out of the way and no one's going to push you out of the way for God's plan for your life. You find God's plan for your life. There is no competition. There is no one that you have to step over to get there and God's plan for you is so good. And so we tell our kids that and we affirm our kids that. And you young people, listen to me. Those of you who are in here, if your parents haven't told you, I'm gonna tell you. God loves you. His plan for your life is amazing. And it's so much better than anything you could ever find on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, Snapchat or, or them. Yeah. Now I sound like an old guy. Don't go on face chat. We're doing it. <laughs> Parenting tip. Tell them and then tell them you believe in them. It's not the people you believe in that make the biggest difference in our lives. It's the people that believe in you. Young people, we believe in you. That's why we helped fund your way to camp because we believe there's good things in you. Here's the last one. You have to make that choice to believe that God will help you personally, that God will help you, that God will do something. If I'm going to have hope, I believe that God will help me in my life, that God can do an intervention like nobody else. And when God intervenes in my life, let me tell you something. When God intervenes, he does what nobody else can do. He can, he can set you free of addictions. He can set you free of torment. He can set a 14-year-old free of anxiety. He can intervene into your life and the depression and the junk and all the stuff can absolutely leave your life because when God intervenes, he does it in a big way. And you have to believe that he will help you. So here's my question to you today. What do you believe? 
What do you believe about the future? What do you believe about your family? What are your expectations? I don't know. I don't don't have any good expectations. Well, then go back to your source of hope and say, Father, help me. I can believe that something really good can happen to me, to my family, in my life, in my relationship with you. God, something good can happen. First Peter, again, Peter was writing to people under a lot of persecution. But he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That becomes our source of hope. If God raised Jesus from the dead and he did that for us, then God can do amazing things in my life. I have an expectation in him. One story, and I'll close. 1915, an expedition uh, made up of Ernest Shackleton and a few, about 25 men, got caught up in an ice floe. They were trying to go to the, to the South Pole. And then they got caught up in ice and their, their ship, the Endurance, sank. And they were stranded on an ice floe for six months. The ice floe finally disintegrated and they had to get in life, lifeboats. So this group of men got in their lifeboats and finally wound up on a strip of land called Elephant Island. And in Elephant Island, they, Shackleton didn't stay long. He made sure his men were okay and he left 22 men behind he got in a lifeboat again with a few other men, and they made a, a, a journey of over 800 miles through some treacherous waters, going to rescue. He told these men, I will, I will come back for you. I will rescue you. He, found, he finally got to a whaling station, and he turned around and tried to go back. Four times he tried to reach these guys. On the fourth time, he reached them. 105 days later, after he'd left them, they, they were living in... Uh, They'd taken the lifeboats and turned them over. They were living underneath them. They were living off of seaweed and penguin. And when he, when he found them, he thought they would be despondent. He was amazed at their morale. Morale was great. And he, he likened it to the fact that he had a number two guy called Frank Wild. Frank Wild was a great leader. And Frank Wild would wake those men up every day with a cheery voice, and he would say, Lash up and stow, men. The boss may be coming back today. Lash up and stow means that you lash up as you tie down anything that may have gotten loose and you stow away anything that would have gotten messy. And he would, every day, he would, he would constantly tell them, the boss may be coming back today. Frank Wilde believed that Ernest Shackleton would keep his promise that he would come back and get them. Because Frank believed that, he instilled that into these men. And when Ernest Shackleton finally did show up, these men were expecting him. They were ready. They weren't despondent. They were doing just fine. Now I say, what, what's that got to do with me? Ah, it's got a lot to do with you. Because we have someone who's gone before us, but he's also promised us that he would come back for us. And we have a hope that says, listen, I'm going to tie everything down that has gotten loose. I'm going to put away things that have gotten messy because the boss may come back today. He may be returning today. But that gives me, it gives me a hope. We, we have a hope that the one who promised is faithful and sure. And that gives us a hope beyond okay. I'll close with this song. I, it's, I'm not singing it. Uh, it's, a, it's, an, it's an old song, but I, I like the words. It says, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the sea billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep 
and the Savior's love. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Heavenly Father, thank you for the, for the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope that because you raised him from the dead, he's alive and his promises are sure. And it gives us a hope beyond tomorrow and a hope beyond what's visible in our lives. Thank you for that hope. Now, Father, I thank you that you continue to reaffirm and spark that hope in our hearts and lives. That this year, we're expecting good in our lives and our families' lives and in the people around us. Thank you, Lord. Because of you, we can expect good things. Since you're bowed and eyes are closed. Today, if you came and said, you know what, Alan, I am, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know that I've ever put my faith and hope in him. I'm not sure. Or you say, I've done that in the past. For some reason, I drifted. I drifted so far away, and I'm so far away from God right now. But I, I want to come back. Well, man, we got great news for you. He is open-armed, willing to take you back and receive you into, into his life and into his kingdom. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. But sitting in your chair today, you can say just a simple prayer that will connect you with the one who is the hope of our lives. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one looking around. If that is you that I'm talking to and you want these prayers, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Very, very simple. Just simply slip your hand up and say, Alan, that's me. I need him or I need to come back to him in life. Thank you. Thank you. Just slip your hand up real quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. His hands have gone up. Anybody else? Yeah. All over. Yeah. Way in the back, in the front. Anybody else? Good. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your honesty. What a difference that'll make. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to say a prayer. Now, maybe you didn't lift your hand and you really wanted to. You can join us in this prayer. This is a heart prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. We're going to pray it out loud. So pray it out loud so you can hear yourself pray it. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now. I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who restores me and forgives me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those who've come in and for those who've come home, we rejoice with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.